so many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day. And we just stocked our office fridge with International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, and it never misses. The team's favorite flavor so far is the Caramel Macchiato. You just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee, and voila, you've got an incredible cold foam coffee, no frothing, fancy machines, or mess required. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom. The best part? It works on both hot and iced coffee. It comes in three foaming, delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. One of the things I knew that my my desire to get strong and my desire to have power and to be really, really just... I was, I was obsessed with muscle, even as a little kid, because I knew one day I might have to kill my father. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Before the episode starts, I want to give a quick trigger warning that we do discuss different forms of sexual abuse and healing from those experiences. Your book is called Toughs, Your Journey to True Power, and you are the epitome of the tough, strong bodybuilder football guy for a long time, and you portrayed this image in movies, TV, and all these different things. Why do you feel like you had that anger inside of you? And when did you realize that you needed to let it go? Well, wow, that's a great, great question, man. You know, for me, um, you know, my world was designed around competition. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in Flint, Michigan, it was uh, in the middle, uh, when the auto industry imploded, uh, you know, I was around 10 years old, and then the crack epidemic happened at the mm. same time. Mm. So you're talking about a double whammy on a city. Um, and so it was very violent, you know, lots of crime, lots of drugs, lots of gangs, lots of of powerlessness mm-hmm. is what I like to call it. Cause People I, felt powerless. Especially me. Okay. Because you couldn't do anything about it. You know, one thing that people didn't know uh, or, or forgot is when around that time in the city, there would be smokestacks around the city. And what they were doing were burning foreign cars. Really? And I remember just seeing you walk to school and you go across a, a parking lot in this factory and they'd be burning a car and effigy and throwing rocks at it. And, you know, you ain't going to have them damn you know, Toyotas up in here, you know, because it was foreign. And it it just hit me mm. about how, you know, the problem was the city was very resistant to change. 
but change is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And this is what I was going through. And but it was also about competition. It was always about okay, it's got to be me versus this dope man. Uh, it's got to be me versus this gang initiation that they're trying to bring me into. It's got to be me versus you know the the grown men in my neighborhood and in my area that were always challenging me as a young man. So you had to come up mm -hmm. and it made me very mad. Really? And growing up with an alcoholic father on top of all that. Big Terry. Whitney, Big Terry. Yeah, I was little Terry, uh -huh. he was Big Terry. And you know, one of my earliest memories is him knocking my mother out. And I was like, got it, man. You run the world right now until I do. Ooh. Um, how I'm gonna tell you, man. How old were you then? Oh, I was five. Oh, man. I was five. But I have to tell you, I, one of the things I knew that my, my desire to get strong and my desire to have power and to be really, really just, I was, I was obsessed with muscle even as a little kid because I knew one day I might have to kill my father. Oh, my gosh. He was that dude. Wow. He was just, he was unending, never bending, just constant intimidation. You know what I mean? Like uh, fear, intimidation. You just didn't, you know, you didn't, you never felt comfortable. You never felt like he, he accepted you. You, you always felt, felt like something was wrong. You doing it wrong. You didn't iron your pants enough. You didn't do something enough. You didn't clean enough. You, you just felt right. always inadequate. And that was the, the, the mindset of a lot of men mm. in that culture, in, mm. that, in the city at the time I was growing up. And it wasn't gonna let you, they weren't gonna let you off easy. Uh, but when you asked them questions, they would never answer them. Mm, why not? I don't know. <laughs> See, that, that blew my mind. Because I was like, okay, just, just tell me what you want. And they're like, well, one day you're gonna find out. Let me tell you, one day, one day you'll get it. And you're like, but I'm 12. Right. <laughs> Can you like give me a clue? Yeah. Like, and man, it was, I mean, it was only after I grew up when I realized that they didn't know. So that was a kind of a cop out. Um, but it, it, it made me, I had a, a vow with my best friend and we were about 13, 14 years old because this was such a big problem. Like his dad would never talk to him. Really? And my dad would never talk to me and the older adults wouldn't tell, you know, they would, only thing I would tell you about is how to be a pimp. You know, like, man, you want two or three girls, let me tell you how to do it. You know, you, this is the game you got to run. And you're like, that's the only thing they would volunteer. But any of the other life stuff, like, what does this mean? What what, what does life mean? What's the true meaning of this? And right. You ain't getting that. Go to church for that. And the whole concept with a lot of men in that world was that if you're scared, go to church. Like, you know, church was for scared people. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, we're too, we're too tough for that. You know, uh, and what was so wild is um, we made a vow, and we made a vow, me and my best friend, that you know we would. If you, I said, if you find out something before I do, promise me that you'll tell me. And if I find out anything that you need to know before you do, I'll tell you. And we literally shook on it. I'll never forget it. Wow. I'll never forget the day we did it. Did you guys start telling each other advice or yeah, wisdom? Yeah, we were just trying to find out stuff. Like, oh man, check this out about this is in school and this is this mm. and this is, this will this will get you to this level. And man, we got to start working out. And man, we got to do this. You know, because we were just alone. Yeah. 
I mean, this is in the early days of even fitness. Yeah, there was you know, no there were no information gyms. on fitness really about how to build your build your muscles. Really, no, right there, yeah, no. We would get. I remember ordering the books at the back of comic books. Mm. Did you ever get sand kicked in your face? And, and you know, <laughs> and I would get this little book, and it had like drawings of people exercising, and then it had an old exerciser thing that was like a. It looked like a bow, like a bow and arrow, and then you would just push it together uh-huh. and had a string and you just do that <laughs> it was like yeah primitive but we were like eating anything up just to improve our lives yeah and uh it was a really the, the competitive culture created in me this thing and when we talk about rage what we're talking about is an attempt to control things you can't control mm-hmm. you know because what couldn't you control at that time Nothing. I outside. I just looked, and it was like I had to do what everyone told me. And you know, my father was addicted to alcohol, but my mother was addicted to religion, mm. and he despised that. You know, because again, it was weak to him. Um, but she was living in fear, and she was living in fear, <laughs> and so she's like, "Hey, we we got to run under the protection of the church." But it was a Basically, that was a Christian cult. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a church called the uh, Church of um, God and Christ, and it was so. It was what you would call holy roller. You know, it was a lot of speaking in tongues okay. and a lot of music and and shouting and bawling out and people running around and the whole thing. And um, I remember just feeling like I wanted that. I wanted to be. The, close to that. like I said okay if this is what God is but I never felt it like I was going when is it going to take me because mm-hmm. I'd see everybody jumping and running and shouting and, and I was like it, and it yeah. was like well you just got to feel it and I was like but I don't feel it and no one would tell me what was going on and, and I mean no one mm-hmm. my mother my, my people in the church I would be asking like when do you know how this feels like, is it supposed to grab you? And they were like, oh, if you don't, let me tell you, the day it, it freaked me out is what my pastor looked at me and he said, if you don't feel nothing, you must not have nothing. Ooh, man, that's not fair. I went, what? So, so it's now, like forces you to try to act like you feel something to fit in or belong or. Oh yeah, and now I'm bad. Oh man. And so I learned real quick. I said, man, you gotta have two lives. You gotta be this way in church, you gotta be this. I mean, my my father and mother fought constantly mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah, You know what I mean? But it was all about, listen, everything that I do now, I couldn't do as a kid. I couldn't play sports. I couldn't go to secular movies. I couldn't listen to secular music. I couldn't dance. I couldn't do anything. When I say nothing, I mean, I remember, I was like, what can I do? And they were like, sit down and shut up is what you can do. Wow. And what I would do is listen to kids at school talk about the movies. They would talk about all the stuff that they saw and all this stuff. And and I remember going home and drawing mm, what I thought the wow. movie was about. And that's where my art really? ability came. I mean, it was hours of like, like imagining what this movie was. How old were you when you started drawing and, and being, you know? I was probably, probably six seven wow. years old, but I remember kids talking about things that I couldn't experience. Did anyone teach you how to draw? Uh, I, I learned off comic books. 
You're so talented. I've seen your stuff. Uh, but see, you got to understand. She would too. see it, and then you would kind of mimic what you're. Exactly. Yeah. I, any comic book or anything I saw, I would just try to. And let me tell you, I had this the most frustrating experiences because nothing would look the same. Mm. Like, and it was a desire for me to make things extremely real, and I wanted it to really come to life. And what would happen is I would be satisfied with the drawing, like, oh man, this is good. And then I go to bed and wake up, and it would look bad again. And you're talking about Man. this for a young kid. And then it just continued where this drive and this this whole thing, because it had to look better than this, and it's got to look better than yours. Mm. When you're talking about a world of competition, it created this excuse for your age. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it created, and, and now, I'm going to tell you, man, what happened for me, and especially once I hit my teen years, I started living my life like I was in a revenge movie. Um, trying to get back at everyone, everything, the world, your dad. Remember the like the vow I made with uh-huh. my best friend? Uh-huh. I made a lot of vows. And I vowed that I was going to get every person who ever doubted me, mm. who ever insulted me, who ever made me feel slightly uncomfortable, I was going to get you back. Wow. And I was going to show you. Now, let me tell you something. That is a recipe for tremendous success. <laughs> now, you understand what I mean? Like, people expect you, oh no, it's gonna fall. No. And also, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of joy, a lack of peace inside of you. Now. Because I was so similar. You I, wanted see what to I, mean? make, I wanted to prove everyone wrong, and I accomplished all these goals, and I was like, but why am I still unfulfilled and angry? You, listen, you why am I so angry? You get a lot done. A lot, I man. You're obsessed. Extra energy. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I you would work sleep. out. Yeah, yeah. You gotta understand, man. I would go and I remember I would do this stuff where I would go work out and then I would work out until I couldn't move. And then I would rest up and then I would go and I would flex my muscles until they cramped. And I would force my muscles into cramps. Now, it was it was sadistic. Of it was course. masochistic. Yeah. But I said, no one, I want this. Like I will never stop doing sit-ups. I will never stop. I would, you know, again, sit-ups and push-ups until my stomach, until I was curled over in tears. Oh my gosh. And then I go do more. Machine, because I man. said, no one's gonna beat me. You wow. Will never, ever, ever beat me. And listen, understand this, man. You know what's so crazy? I didn't even like football. <laughs> really? Didn't didn't like it at all. But it was my way out of Flint. Mm-hmm. It was also my way to code. Black. And this is what I mean. To code what? Code black. Meaning in the black culture, sports coded uh-huh. like Success. hardcore. And yeah. it was the way the drug dealers, the gang members, everybody would leave you alone if they knew you were an athlete. Why is that? I got, because they said, he's this man, he might go somewhere. Mm. He might do something. He might be, because you got to understand, walking to school, whew, here they come. I had to fight my way into school because it was like, who do you think you are? Who do you, okay, oh, Mr. Smart, you smart now, huh? Mm. And you're like, man, I'm, hey, why you talk so white? I, was like, I So what I did, I, I remember developing a whole nother personality when I was out in the street. It was like, ah, man, what's up, man? Ah, you know, I don't even, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> boy. Right. And I would mimic that mm-hmm. just so I could, Fit in, right? Yeah. 
you wouldn't get, you, you, you have ideas, you had, you had goals, you had things you wanted, and all of a sudden you knew, you, you didn't dumb down. Wow. They were like, wait, man, who you, who, who you think you are? Remember, it's, it's, everything's a competition. Yeah. So you think you're smarter than me? No, nah, man, I don't know, I'm just, but here I was, this artist, drawing, really trying to excel, had ideas, had, had visions, and being a creative person. You played music stuff. too, right? Yeah, I was a, flu- a flautist. That's it, crazy. It, listen, man. I hid that. Oh. <laughs> I was able to do that in church, however. Wow, man. Uh, but see, this is another thing about the, the, the religion thing, which was nuts, is that, you know, here I was just, you know, I was a pleaser. I became a pleaser. It was mm-hmm. like, all right, please my mom, whatever, please the alcoholic dad, whatever yes. you want, you want, here's another beer, here's whatever. That, and my mother, I, I, what I decided was I was going to be the best, you know, kid in the church. Mm-hmm. But then my church was a cult. It was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, because a lot of it didn't make any sense. And it really hit the fan when my pastor, we, you know, we found out my pastor was selling drugs oh, and man. using drugs out of the pulpit. He had several girlfriends oh, in man. the church. I mean, everything imploded, you know, and everyone thought this guy who was so upstanding, you know, because this thing, even with religion, is that, you know, everybody starts out with great intentions, mm-hmm. you know. And then power and success and money and people praising you. You got to learn to really stay humble in the face of success or fame. Exactly. How have you managed that? I mean. Well, for a long time, I didn't. Really? I'm, I'm just being real. Um, you know. There's two Terry Cruises and there's two experiences. Um, you know, the competitive Terry Cruz was not humble. The competitive Terry Cruz would look humble so that you could be lulled into sleep so that I could destroy you. Wow. I, I'm just telling you, man. When, when was this up until? Oh my God. I mean, we're talking 2010. Okay, wow. You know, uh, and I was an t- intense dude, man. You gotta understand. I knew, I said, this is how I you work. Were, you were intense or still? Oh, I'm still intense. <laughs> yeah, I'm still intense. But I'm in a different, level in a different way. Right? <laughs> you know, uh, my thing was, man, I I knew how to manipulate. Really? What, was the, stra- what was the strategy? Well, I, w- I would look at a s- whatever scene it was and what the rules were. And I knew how to play the game. Wow. But it was always to beat people. It to to always, one up, to be number one, oh, to be yeah. a little bit better than, or always. That, I mean, it got me to the NFL. Of course. I mean, dude, it goes along. Like I said, I didn't even like football, but that way of life, the NFL was like, come here. <laughs> we like you, right? You know what I mean? Oh, you gonna you gonna be good? You know? They say uh, the phrase I heard before is that, um, you know, the best soldiers know how to check their morality, mm. like to the side, like keep it way because you're a good soldier don't mm-hmm. don't think about what's right or wrong right don't really get that out yeah of your psyche what's, what's good and bad and yeah. now yeah now you can do it, whatever we need and i i determined that i was going to be that dude like whatever it took and i and i and you gotta understand is that this kind of mindset is very rewarded of course it's very it, you know i was tough i was you know, and this rage would also, uh, I could turn it on to the point where I could beat people up. Like, mm-hmm. I could start, I started to defend myself 
You know, I got from being a little kid to being a, a, a big teenager to being, to, you know, what they say, he's got a little neck. You know what I mean? Like when you get some traps and you get <laughs> right. like, whoa, okay. Got no neck. Gang members think twice. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, all right, all right. Because again, everything's a challenge, man. Yeah. To, to an, an exhausting level. Was there ever a point where you felt like you were strong enough and big enough to beat up your dad? Well, I did. How old were you? I was 30 years old. Really? I, you gotta understand the, the context of what happened. Um, my father, you know, I was already, I just started my acting career and I just got a show. It was a TV show called Battle Dome. And I had retired from the NFL. And uh, again, I was about 29, 30 years, no, I was 30 years old. So uh, I took my family home for Christmas and I, I told my father- Back to Flint. Back to Flint yeah. from LA. And I told my father, do not act up, man. Because this is the thing about holidays for alcoholics. It's oh, just, man. It's, it's the worst, man. I mean, they go right back. It's all the bad memories. And they need to placate. And they need to medicate with mm -hmm. alcohol. And I said, man, look, my kids have never seen this. My kids never came up in this. And at the time, I had three girls. And I said, dude, do not act up, okay? He said, no, I ain't going to do nothing, man. Ain't nothing wrong with you. you know, I don't know what you're talking about. So I take him home, and me and we all over there. Everything's going fine. Um, my wife and I are headed to Detroit to hang out with some friends. So it's about a 45-minute drive. We're about 10 minutes into the drive, and I get this call from my aunt. And she's like, Terry, your father hit your mother. Oh. I said, what? Oh, man. And what happened, he knocked her tooth sideways. Like, no. it, it was hanging out of her mouth. And I mean, he hit her right in the mouth. Oh, man. And then I found out, Lewis, he did it in front of my kids. Oh, no. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different 
flavors and varieties. One of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And they were all privy mm. to this. And Something your, that I vowed. Your trigger went in deep. I said, take the kids oh my over to Aunt's house. I said, just leave them there. I dropped my wife off. I drove over to the house. And I'm looking at him, and I met with him. I'm like, hey, dude, didn't I tell you? And he was like, oh, no, that you. And I'm like, wow. I mean, And I mean, let me tell you something, man. I don't know how long the beating happened. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Because you black out. I black and out. And when you get to that level of rage, I know that feeling. You don't feel anything. You don't think anything. It's a... Man, you know what? Even... Ooh, I'm getting... It's, it's, just thinking about it, it was so like, cause all I could remember was being like five years old. Wow. And, and feeling so weak and mm. powerless as he was doing this to my mother. And we just had to take it. I was, I was like, I can't, what can I do? Right. He's a giant. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, I don't, I can't do anything. And, and man, and now I'm 30 years old. You're big, you're I'm strong. I'm posted, I fell. I'm, I'm never had an injury. I'm ready to go. And you got 30 years of pent up rage. 30 years. And resentment. And I beat his wow. all over that house. Wow. And Lewis, let me tell you, man, I felt nothing. At the end, I thought this was it. I thought this is the revenge mm. I've been waiting for. I told you not to do it. This is it. Now I'm, you're going to get everything full bore. All Terry Crews is going to blast you. And when I was done, I remember we, I beat him from the bottom, all the way to the bottom of the house, all the way up to his room because he was trying to run <laughs> oh from gosh. me. And he was trying, he ran into his room and I bust the door down, man. And still kept beating him, right? He's on the ground in tears, bleeding, tears, the whole thing. Man, I'm sitting on his bed. I just look at my hands and I'm like, mm. I'm just like you. Uh. It didn't work. It didn't work, man. Right. It was supposed to work. What were you hoping to feel? I mean, release. Like, there it is. I yeah. said it right. You're supposed to feel justice. You're supposed to feel like this is this. Now the score has been mm -hmm. settled. 
And when I say living life like a revenge movie, I mean it. But you gotta understand, that stuff is better than sex. Right. You look at a movie like that, you're like, man, yes, get them it back feels good, one yeah. at a time. Like, yes. And here I was, I was living it. I was like, this is man on fire live. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is like get back city. This is the payback. And I was like, nothing. Nothing. Wow. And I was like, I'm done. And I left. And I never went home for 10 years. Really? 10 years. And my mom went right back to him. Didn't change, didn't change any of the home situation. Mm -hmm. Didn't fix not one thing. And I was, I just remember going through all these issues and all this stuff like, oh my God, like, I lost it, man. And I, I couldn't go home. I couldn't even deal with it. And uh, that was the, the thing that I said, that rage, it was uncontrollable. Mm. But I took it out on other people. Right. And I, and I never, like even though I didn't beat him up again and didn't go back home, that rage was still in still me. Still inside of you. And I was doing that to various people in the street. There's a long list of people who've been knocked out by me. Right. And what's so crazy <laughs> is that a lot of people go, oh no, Terry, no. You're funny and you're so nice. My wife would be like, y'all don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> y'all have no idea. He wasn't so nice back then. Because yeah. like, I could flip. Of course. Oh no, you, you have to understand me. You know, being two people and, and learning how to manipulate and move, you know, mm -hmm. that's why it would shock everybody. Right. Because you could be the lovable, fun, energetic, passionate guy, but if there was a wound that was being triggered. Oh. The other Terry came out. It would be a, a nuclear bomb. Yeah, I I know this. I mean, I I I feel like I can understand and relate to this feeling because I had this for so long as well. I think I might have told you this story, but it was I was thirty years old as well when I realized I had a problem with with anger and rage, and I was playing pickup basketball in West Hollywood, the mean streets of West Hollywood. Wow, wow. <laughs> and no, it uh, don't matter where it's at. Right, right. But this is, this yeah. is West Hollywood. It's not like I'm in some bad neighborhood or something. And we're just playing pick up basketball with a bunch of 20 year olds, right? Some 20, 25 year olds, everyone's just having fun. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I would take everything so personally yeah. for months and I would shove people and I would, if they ever elbowed me, I felt I'd take it so personally. I would get angry if they tried to talk trash to me, I would have to step to them to the point where I got in a pretty bad fight. Like I just snapped and and I would never take the, I would never make the first hit. I would always wait for someone to hit me. And someone hit me and I snapped and I exploded. And I kind of like what you talk about in the book here, you tell a story of you doing this. The old football me just like picked the guy up, body slammed him and just went on in the I basketball court. I know that. And it's like, I didn't feel anything Blacked of, of, out. of like pain. It's just like you just rage, right? And I remember afterwards going back to my place like kind of shaking at this point because the police department is right across the street. I'm 30 years old. I'd just been building my career. I could have gotten injured. I could have gone to jail. Something could have happened where I blew everything. And you talk, you talk about that moment in your Easy. life where you yes. talk with a guy, you're beating him up with your wife there, playing yes. pregnant wife, and the cops come to start to arrest you. It. And it could have been over one That's bad it. decision. I remember looking myself in the mirror after this, shaking with like blood all over my knuckles, looking in the mirror and I couldn't recognize myself and I looked at myself in the mirror and I go, who are you? What yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah. 
And it was terrifying to me to realize what I was still capable of, yeah. even though I wasn't playing football, because that was the outlet. Yeah. That was the the legal outlet to destroy someone, right? Yeah. And not go to jail. Yeah. And I realized at that point that I had a problem and I needed to work on it. And it's been a nine-year journey of healing ever since with therapy. What has been the thing for you? When was the the last straw where you said, I can't react in this way with, with anger towards uh, fighting, physical fighting someone? Uh, I can't react with screaming or other things like that. When did you realize, like, I can't overcome this by suppressing it, I need to heal it. Um, well, my wife made me promise, okay? When was this? This was right after we, this was around 2008, 2009, and I beat this guy up on the street. Was that the story in the this book here? The, oh, this, man. Start the book. Yes, yeah, crazy and story. put this guy on the concrete. Just and body slamming, boom. Dude, it was too much, wait. It was way overkill. You know, like, like it you was could have just so, shown the guy and walked away. You see what I mean? Like, like, no, it, it, it was so bad. Because you're talking about Christmas shoppers oh, and man. people everywhere. And broad, it was, I remember the sun was going down, but mm. it was still like the people, people walking around, yeah. people screaming and running and police coming and <laughs> them holding their hands on their guns. Oh, no, man. And they're one, and I'm stomping this dude like Nino Brown. Like, it's, it's. And you're a massive dude. And she said, she, now he, he disrespected her. Right. He disrespected her. Right. And she was like, but Terry. You can't do that though, yeah. She's listen. I got away because there was an older white man in the crowd, and he came out. He says, "Officer, officer," because I was either going to jail or getting shot. And he, this old white man, comes out. No, 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 because he sees the police about to do what they're about to do. He's, and this and is pre-social media. This, this is, is pre-video. This, this is, is pre-, pre. First of all, this, this is I'm gonna say it. This is pre-George Floyd. Yeah, because there was, I mean. I could have been shot that day. Yeah. That's for real. Mm -hmm. And this older white man jumped out and said, I've, I've already had guns pointed at me and, and literally in traffic and whole thing. And, and it's, it's, I mean, there's it's never fun. a feeling. It's a, and I didn't do anything wrong. That's the craziest part about it. So my wife was like, oh my God, I, you are not going to get anybody's, nobody's going to fight you. Nobody's going to wrestle with you. They're just going to shoot. Yeah. No cop is going to even get close. So she pulled me to this, after this all got, he's like, oh, you know, I saw the whole thing. They didn't do anything. They were bothering, they were bothering them and the whole thing. And the officer decided to let me go. That's, were you already cuffed or was he starting to, to try to cuff you or? Oh, no, no. I, he was starting. Oh, no. Wow. They weren't cuffing. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, they had the hands on the guns. Oh, man. They were pulling the guns out. So the white guy came in, kind of stopped it all. He saw what wow. was about to happen. Okay. My wife was right there. Wow. And, and it was pandemonium because people were like, ah. Did you, did, you ever, did you ever meet this guy later? This guy? No, I don't. I don't. Listen, never, never. I don't know what. Again, I blacked out. Right, right, right. I don't wow. even know. If, you, if he stood in front of me, I wouldn't, wouldn't even know what he yet. looked like. Wow. If he caught he probably met, I probably met him again a few years <laughs> later. You know what I mean? And don't know. Right. Um, but what was so crazy is that that night, my, my wife sat me down. She said, Terry, you got to promise me, man. You can never, ever. She said, listen, I'll be okay. But we, first of all, you're gonna get sued for one because you 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 know we just now 
Making some money, you're, you're well still known. famous. Yeah. You know, you, you reached a level of fame where you're kind of getting up there. It was like right after we did Longest Yard. You know what I mean? So she's like, okay, first of all, you're going to get sued. But secondly, I know how close those cops came to killing you. And then she said, you got kids, man. It's not like, worth we it, man. want you. We yeah. want you to live. What am I going to do if you're dead? What am I going to do? I said, you can't do this. Like, you don't get this. Mm-hmm. I don't know, somebody else might, but you can't. Because you're not going to get a second shot. Nope. And, I, and and listen, and the whole time, I'm like, come on, please. I was like, you know what? No, no I'm a man, shoot. No one's going to Somebody came at me like yeah. that. I got no choice. And she said, well, Terry, I don't know what to tell you. She said, because we, if you don't get a hold of this, it's over. Like, right. we, we, Eventually, something's going to happen. And yeah. I said, she said, you got to promise. I said, okay. I promise, right? But you gotta understand my level of rage. Now, I, this is something, and again, I probably, I'm gonna kill, I wrote it in the book, but it's so horrible. It's a horrible, horrible moment. Share it. I had a dog who would eat its poop, and I hated it. It was just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> oh. Every time it would do it, and I see it licking on the kid's face uh, and stuff, and I was just yeah. like, stop, stop. So every, but again, I was mad all the time, mm-hmm. always angry. Dude, I'm, I'm it's me, I'm home, alone, alone with the dog, dog starts pooping, turns right around so and starts evening. going to town. I'm like, dude, I ran outside and I threw this dog across the lawn. Oh man. When I say, this was a blackout moment. Mm-hmm. The dog flew across the lawn like a Frisbee, <laughs> right? And Lands breaks its leg. Oh no! The yelp. Oh, I still remember. Oh, it's sad. My kids walk in oh. on the the moment the dog lands. Oh. The kids come in from shopping with my wife, oh. and they're like, and the dog's name was Coffee. They're like, Coffee. Oh <laughs> man! And his leg is bent backwards. Oh. Listen, man. Again, people people are gonna hate me mm-hmm. for this story, of course, and you should because it was vile, it was ridiculous, mm-hmm. it was over the top, the dog didn't deserve it. Right. Nothing a dog could do, you know, it was like a child. Yeah. You understand what I mean? It was abusive, it was crazy, and wait, the minute I threw him, I regretted it, like, ah. Yeah. And I was like, and then all I was remember sitting there just going, why, how did I do this? Mm. Like, why did, I was in tears, man. Like, how am I? I can't control myself. Right. You know, like, there's nothing scarier than knowing there's something in you that could that could push the nuclear button at any time. And wait, and you can't stop it? I mean, I have no control over my own life. Right. So whatever you say could make me do it. Whatever anything that the dog ate this made me do it. And I'm going, wait a minute, I can't, I can't tell myself no. Wow. I have no control over anything. And that hit me. I was mm. going, holy cow. And my wife was just like, Terry, what's wrong with you? And man, I can't count the number of events, uh, theme park gatherings, different stuff we give with the family. And one thing would make me go off and I'd ruin the whole day for everybody. 
And I thought, here I was thinking, I'm better than my dad because I didn't do this. I didn't hit my wife. You weren't wife. drinking. You weren't hitting your wife. I wasn't yeah. drinking. I, hey, I'm successful. I, in fact, I'm famous. Mm-hmm. In fact, people love me. But inside, it was horrible, man. It was horrible. And I, I had no control. So when was the moment then where you were able to look at yourself and realize, I have either conquered this inner rage, beast, whatever you want to call it, and you do have control? Well, I have to go, now we go flash forward. Yes. Okay. Um, my wife and I had been through, you know, first of all, in 2010, it was the end of our marriage. We had been married 20 years. Wow. And, you know, this whole time I had had an addiction to pornography mm-hmm. and I had never told her. And 10 years earlier, mm-hmm. I had, you know, basically cheated on her at mm-hmm. a massage parlor. Right. But I, I vowed I'd never tell anybody. I vowed. I said, man, I'm taking this to my grave. It's not happening. But see, you got to understand another thing, too, is there's this competition, but also this guilt that I was always you know, carrying created because rage. Because of that. Yeah, yeah. Because creates of that. rage. Yeah, of course. And shame. Shame. I, I used to get into arguments. So she, she asked me questions like, have you ever, do you watch porn? So like, hey, no, don't even bring that up. What are you talking about? You know what? No, I, I don't know who you think you are. And start an argument so mm-hmm. she'd be like I'm out just so she wouldn't bring up more because I knew what I was doing right and I knew that I wasn't living right I mean the one thing is it's almost like you know you say one lie mm-hmm. and it turns into two turns into ten and it eats you inside of you too you're talking about ten years now I vowed I would never tell anybody and my wife was always like she would just bring up stuff like what is it what, what are you doing man I don't I don't know you ever cheat on me? Stuff like that. And I'm like, no, nah, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and angry, angry. And what you would do, and, and one thing that I would do is project. Of course. So mm-hmm. I was like, what, why are you saying that? Are you thinking about cheating? You know, in turn, and again, this manipulative game that you could play with the people you love, right. the people who love you, or you claim to love, just so you can keep your thing together, you know what I mean? And let me, this thing, Lewis, is that I realized that the image of Terry Crews was more important than who Terry Crews was. Dang. And I had to worship that image. Who? And it ran everything. Because what would happen if who Terry Crews was really came out? Instead right. of the image, what would happen then? Well, my mindset, I had a play. I, I was like, I'd lose everything. First of all, my wife would leave. My People who knew me would be ashamed. People who knew me would be, they would run away. Everybody would be done. All of it would be finished. Every bit of who I, you know, if, if people found out who I really, really was, mm. or what I was really, really thinking and contemplating, how I had done, then it would be the end of me. Wow. So I decided, and we're going we gonna to put this image up, and we're going to prop it up. Mm-hmm. And it's like having an image on these really weak posts. You know what I mean? It would get bumped, and it's like way swaying, and you're doing everything you can to hold it. I got to put another beam up on there just to hold it up, because it's getting rickety. Mm-hmm. And the longer it goes, the more rickety it gets. And it all fell. 2010. Wow. And my wife was like, I'm out. I'm done. 
And because what happened was she finally asked me, because we had just been getting farther and farther apart yeah. over the years. And she said, you know, what is it I don't know about you, Terry Crews? And I told her. I told her about what happened 10 years earlier. Now, in my head, I'm like, hey, that was 10 years ago. But for her, it was today. Mm. And she was like, I'm out. Wow. Don't come home. And what I realized is that she had married an image. And what she realized is that she didn't know me. Right. She was like, who are you? And I let her stay in that. And one thing about men is that what we're looking for is intimacy. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited-time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. You can't always trust your gut. Like those times when it tells you to have that extra piece of cake or when it tells you to skip your morning routine and sleep in another hour. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Ritual invested in a study modeling the human colon, which showed their Symbiotic Plus significantly increased microbial diversity and the growth of beneficial bacteria. Rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. Personally, I love Ritual's Symbiotic Plus because it keeps my gut feeling balanced and it's super convenient. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com. .com/greatness start ritual or add symbiotic plus to your subscription today that's ritual.com/greatness for 20% off like literally someone who knows us inside and out and loves us anyway but if you never reveal who you really are you can never ever have intimacy mm, amen to that you understand what i mean man. you can't it's impossible because you have to know who you are. Absolutely. You have to re share who you are. But the game is not to share who you right. are. So you can have sex all day. Mm -hmm. Lots of sex. Because that's still part of the image. But it doesn't have anything to do with intimacy. Right. Anything to do with someone. This is why, this is why you always love your mom. Because your mom knows who you are. Right, right. Everything. Everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? She cleaned, she cleaned your nose. Yeah, she yeah. wiped your butt. She, yeah. got, she knows when you lie. She knows uh, the bad you. She knows the good you. Yeah. And she loves you anyway. That's why you, mom, mom is queen of the world. Mm -hmm. 
But you didn't tell everything to this chick. Nah. To this lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God. And dude, years of therapy. I finally went in to deal with these issues, man. Mm. Now, the thing about, in my culture, um, where I grew up, the, no, one, the, no one does therapy. The mind was, you can't cure crazy. Mm. That was the phrase that was said. Hey, you can't cure crazy. And then you're talking about in religious circles, they were like, oh, you're going to get them demons. The demons are going to come if you go to psychology. They're going to mess with your brain and make you crazy. So my father, there was one time my father went to a psychologist to get help for his alcoholism. And a week later, the, psych- the psychologist jumped off a bridge. Oh, and I was no. like, what? Wow. Huh? Oh, man. He that's... jumped off a bridge, man. And I said, okay, that don't work. That's, that's not going to work. Oh, so, man. no. And I thought these guys are going to make me crazy. So that was the thing. Like, when, it, when that broke for me, when my wife left, I was at my wits end. Like, I said, man, I got to try this therapy stuff. You know, because I'd heard enough about it. Mm-hmm. Over the years. What was the greatest lessons therapy has taught you, though? Man, assembly required. Okay? When I say this, we all think we as men or people are as good as we are. We, we just take me as I am. We make mm-hmm. songs about it. Mm-hmm. Take me just as I am. No, 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 no. <laughs> but the problem is, this thing is, it's like, it's not anybody else's job to assemble you. You are like Legos. Okay, Legos come in a box. You shake the box, it's, look, it's just pieces. And in a com- very competitive world, people tell you, you're broke. Hey man, look at your box. You broke it. But what I learned is that you're never, you're not broken. You're just not finished. Mm-hmm. You, it's up to you to assemble yourself. You have to work on you. You have to pay, take off parts that are bad or broke or that don't fit because nothing's broken it's just things don't fit and you pull it off and you put it back together the right way it's like when you go but you got to go deep mm-hmm. and you got to go down with, 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 with computers yeah. it's a bit with with uh um with property or, or the minerals it's atoms mm-hmm. And, and with human beings, it's genes. I mean, it's down into the core. You get one little gene and you can rebuild yourself. That's what I got from therapy. I was mm. like, holy cow, you can take the bad out. It's not automatic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have said, it's either nature versus nurture. But nurture always works. No matter what your nature started out right. as. You understand what I mean? Like, nurture is... You're in the woods. Uh, nature is you be born naked in the woods. But nurture is you learn to, build, to make a coat uh-huh. and put it on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? You yeah. can build a house. You can build a building. Yeah. You can build a whole society. That's what nurture does. I said, wait a minute. You don't have to stay naked in the woods. But my mind t- mentality was what I had to stay naked in the woods. Because uh-huh. that's where I was born. So that's it. Was there a moment in therapy where you, whether it was 12 years ago or more recently, where you had an aha moment or something you felt shift inside of you? There's, I've been doing therapy for the last year, almost every two weeks for the last year. And I've done it at different stages over the last 10 years, but not consistently until the last year. 
And there was one moment for me where something shifted. I had an aha moment and like the pain in my chest went away and it hasn't come back since. And I finally felt like I was assembling myself and rebuilding myself up to a place where I could feel that peace, where I don't have to. There's always something inside of me that knows like I could turn a switch at any moment if I wanted to into that type of personality and that rageful energy. But I also don't want that to ever come out. And so I keep myself in a level of peace. Was there anything like that during therapy that you're like, oh, it, it actually... Not in my my thoughts, I can think it, but I feel something different about the rage. Man, you know what hit me out of everything? One of the most powerful, powerful moments was my realization of what shame really was. Now, you gotta understand, growing up, it was, shame was used as a tool. Mm-hmm. Everybody used it, from the church, to sports, to and you should be shame. Hey, you you should be shamed and let that guy beat you uh, on the yeah. on the outside. You should. How could you let that happen? Or in church, like, oh, man, you should be so shamed to even think those thoughts. How could you think that? And you're mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I'm a, uh, you sh- and shame was a motivator. Okay, it goes right along with the revenge movie. It starts with shame. It's mm-hmm. a shame, 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 and shame tells you you are bad okay in your default resting state you're a bad person Mm -hmm. so you have to do all these things to be good which means it's only in your efforts you 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 only get good things by working for it because just in your resting state you're bad so let's create this person that covers all this shame up Mm -hmm. so you create an image Mm -hmm. And you build that image and you worship it. Yeah. And but the bad you is still back here lurking and ready. And ooh, it's just ooh. And that's yeah. listen, even in church, people were like, man, you know, you can feel it, like, oh, don't be thinking about that, or oh, you're just gonna snap. You know, it's like, let's let's just get our minds on the Lord, you know. And shame was used that way. But in therapy, it blew my mind. I said, hey man. Guilt is good. Shame is no good. Mm-hmm. And I went, they said, guilt says you did something wrong and you not have to correct it. Yeah, take accountability and yeah. But shame just says you're just wrong. You, you are, are wrong as a human. You yeah. just, that's you. And I said, wait a minute, I'm good. Mm. I'm good in my resting state. And one thing that got me in therapy that hit me, man, oh, I love this. I, I put it in the book. There's a picture of me at about six years old. No teeth, no two front teeth, and I'm sitting there, and I'm in, it's just the cutest little picture. Like, look at this kid. And I had to ask myself, I said, is that kid bad? Uh, is that kid bad? Wow. I said, no. I said, but I'm that kid. I'm still that kid, mm-hmm. Lewis. I'm still him. There was no point, at no point in time did I change from being that kid. Right. Understand, uh-huh. you're still that kid. Uh-huh. And wait, that's like calling a baby evil. Bad and wrong, and yeah. How are babies evil? How is that? You right. can't. You, and I said, holy, I got this all Wrong. And that, that was the moment, like, 
in therapy, I was like, <sighs> look, look at this. I'll show you this. Oh, <laughs> look at this. Yes. Yes. That's you. That's and you me. keep it right there. Listen, uh -huh. I keep it. I keep that same kind of picture that I say I put it in a book so you everybody could see it. But I keep it on my desktop. Wow. On my computer. And I'm like, and you know what? I talk to it, man. Dude, I love Dude. this. I love you because I've been talking about this with my audience about how I've had this for a year now on my phone. I keep meaning to change it recently because I feel like I've finally healed that hurt five, six, seven-year-old child that was inside of me. I've been doing the work on healing that. And it's been so much more powerful because it's not, I'm not coming from a place of hurt and reaction from that early childhood moments. It's from a healed place and rebuilding that uh, foundation. And it sounds like that's what you've been doing. Dude. How long have you been doing that for? Oh, my God. Years. <laughs> I never stop. Really? I talk to them all the time. First of all, when you look at a six-year-old, or no, let's go even earlier, three, two. When they fall down, do you go, oh, man, you should know how to walk by now. You should know how to do all this stuff by now. No. No. You, but you don't do that to yourself. Mm -hmm. As an adult, you don't give yourself another go. You don't say... What I learned, I was merciless to myself, man, mm. because I was bad. Man, how could you do that, man? Get yourself together. Cuss yourself out. I used to cuss myself out. But then what happened is I would cuss everybody else out. Right, right. Because everybody else, you, you, they're held by your same standard. Again, projection. Of course. And you would never give yourself forgiveness mm. and relax and, hey, man, you tried. It's okay. Yeah. No. Dude talking to that little boy and I remember just going dude that's you and you gotta talk to yourself like that mm, with love with care you with... are good yeah you're not bad and but you gotta understand in a very competitive world <laughs> people use that oh of course and what happens is is people can tell you that you are and that's the world I was in. Mm -hmm. The world I was in, the drug dealer was like, hey man, you ain't nothing but a nigga. Or and go to church and they say, you a sinner. Mm -hmm. You ain't nothing. Right. And you just, uh -uh. you don't feel nothing, you don't have nothing. This stuff I was told when I was little, I was bad. Because mm -hmm. so I, I don't feel nothing. Right. So now, I, I can't have it. You understand, man, well, I grew up where the rapture was was dangled in front of us at any moment where if you did anything wrong and the rapture was going to come and the rapture was was when Jesus was going to come and take all the saints up into the sky and if you weren't right you would get left behind mm -hmm. and the whole thing was you would be left to be you know tortured by the devil that was the whole and this, this is stuff you know, as a four-year-old, they would teach. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, But it was used to control us. Right. You want to be good because Jesus is going to come back and he ain't going to take you. And I was like, oh, no, why wouldn't he take me? You got, man, you're talking about a life of horror. I spent most of my years, young years, scared. Yeah. Because it was one of those things where the devil had more power than God did. Because it was like, hey, the devil made me do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and the devil could do all kinds of things. I was like, well, where is God going to step in? Right. You know what I mean? That was my mindset. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, wow, they right. got powerful, right? Oh, but the devil, man, you got to, he going to get you. And you're like, oh, man, like, 
or Jesus was people's hitman. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he gonna knock you out. You're like, but I was just, and man, you gotta understand that framework created so much shame. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, everything I did, I was like, oh no, I'm bad. I'm going, oh, and I would try, I would pray and mm-hmm. try to get back and other things. But you, you, you know, you, you, you keep an impossible standard. It's so hard, man. <laughs> you can't keep up. Nah, man. And I, there's a lot of people who understand this. Yeah, of you course. know what I mean? Who've been yeah. manipulated by 100%. these kind of places and this kind of stuff. And yeah. um, and it's one of those things where I going to therapy though. I was like, oh my God, that has nothing to do with me. Right. Are you still go to therapy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I it's mean, it, I feel it, like it, the consistency of it is so powerful for me. Oh, yeah. No, I have to. I I, I wake up in the morning, and this is the good thing, is, is I get it in books, and, and I still go occasionally to a person, but sometimes it's just, it's just constantly, constantly examining each thought, examining, yeah. is that me? Because this is another thing I even talk about in a book, is that a lot of your thoughts are not yours. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like an auxiliary cord, and people plug in to your stuff. You, know, you pick up things, and you're like, "Why do I not thinking that?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I, but that's not you. But if you think every thought is yours, and your thoughts determine your feelings, and your emotions determine your actions, mm-hmm. and so if someone can can get into your thoughts, they can change the way you feel. Mm-hmm. I just look at the state of America right now. And it seems to be almost in a state of a panic attack. You know, look at January 6th. And you just go, man, something that is not real. Mm-hmm. But you, you, the thoughts turned into emotions that turned into actions that turned into mania. And it can really, really affect you. Absolutely. To the point where people are standing around like, how did we do this? How did we get here? Yeah. How did we get here? That's where I was. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm saying mm-hmm. that because that was me. Sure. And I'm like standing there like holding something crazy. Like, what? How did I get here? Right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, and the, the moment, though, in therapy, when I, when I got that, and then there was a moment 10 years post where, like, I'd been into therapy big, big time. So a couple of years ago. You know, yes, literally, uh-huh. literally. And um, actually, 2017. And I was sexually assaulted by my agent. Mm-hmm. Now, he was the head of the motion picture department at William Morris Endeavor. Okay, 2017, I'm at a party. Um, I'm the only black guy there. Uh, and me and my half-black wife. And everyone else is very Hollywood and superstars and rich mm-hmm. white people, okay? And uh, there I am, and I'm sitting there, and this guy comes down. I remember he came down from this area, and... He's just looking at me with his tongue out, and he's like, I'm going, what is happening? Okay. And I'm looking around like, he ain't talking to me. You know, he can't be talking to me or looking at me like that. But he was. And then he came over through, and I'm telling you, it's packed. Like, it's a packed place. And he squeezes through the crowd, and I reckon, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's him. Because I had never met him. I had heard about him. His name was Adam Bennett. And he's at my agency, and he represents, listen, he was Eddie Murphy's agent, mm-hmm. Adam Sandler's agent, uh, St- Stallone's agent, all these people that I had worked with previously. So I'm going, okay, this is some, some guy I'm supposed to meet. So he comes over, and I stick my hand out, like, hey, man, uh, nice to meet you. He grabs my, it's like, and I'm like, what? Oh, come for me, man. I 
pushed the guy off. He he jumps back and he starts licking his tongue out like ah. And listen, people everywhere. Listen, there are other witnesses. Right, right. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I tell the story, but there are a lot of people who saw it. Mm-hmm. And my wife is one. She was right there next to me. He comes back at me, grabs me again, push him back. Now I'm like, oh, I'm gonna kill you. Now you gave me the license. Mm. And I was going to punch a hole through his head. Gosh. But all of a sudden, it hit me. I was like, I don't have to do that. Mm. I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and I remembered our promise, Mm. but I also remembered my therapy. I remembered, wow, man, you, this is responsibility. Mm -hmm. You have an ability to respond differently. You have that now. Because remember, you, you were out of control before. Anything could make you go off. And I went, and I just stood there. And I grabbed my wife's hand. I said, let's mm. go. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Now, mind you, I got in the car. And I felt like driving the car back through the club, <laughs> like Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was going to, you yeah, know, yeah. I was. I said, man, I'm a, let me go get my gun. Yeah. You know, this is one thing in the hood. That was the, the thing everybody does is basketball court. You know what I mean? They, <laughs> right. they, they run out and they go, I'll be right back. And everybody knows, oh, he's coming back with bullets, right? That was my mind, in the, even in the moment. Like, no, I can't let him go. I can't. But this is the thing, Lewis, I discovered that. You can either have success or revenge, mm. but you can't have both. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Man. Su- success is letting it go. Mm-hmm. Success is moving. And yeah. I got in the car. I was, I finally, I, again, I blacked out, but in a good way, because I ended up in my driveway. <laughs> my whole <laughs> time, scary. my wife was like, I'm so proud of you. Wow. Dude. I'm proud of you. That's big. I'm proud of you. It's big. Um, what's the thing you're most proud of in the last couple of years that you either did or didn't do or evolved into? You know, I would say my wife and I celebrating our 30th anniversary. Uh-huh. And she looked at me and we had a huge party, all these people. It was wonderful. It was before the pandemic. And she was like, I love you. You did the work, man. Wow. She said, you did the work. Mm. Hey, man, there's nothing. You got to understand. Mm. I, people could say, I could say I hurt people. Mm-hmm. But when you hurt the one you love the most, mm. and she's still here, like, you got to understand, I would come home, and she'd be in tears, just sitting somewhere and crying. And I knew I did it. There was nothing I could really do to I'll come over and she's like, no, it's okay. And I had to live in it. And see, this is another thing, because you know, the temptation is to run. It's too painful. So you just go, man, I'll be better off somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing, and the way I like to call it is, is, you know, the world has this my bad mentality. Like, my bad, you know, like you can't hit somebody with your car and then drive off and go, my bad, sorry about that. No, what you have to do is you have to stop. Mm-hmm. You have to wait by the person you hit. And the police are coming, the ambulance is coming, and you have to hold your hand. 
and you have to get them into the ambulance, you have to get them to the hospital, you have to pay for their whatever they lost. You have to pay. You have to make amends. You know what feels good? Winning. And not just in sports. Like when your coffee's still warm once you reach your job site. Or when you finish a project days before the deadline and coming in under budget. That's claiming victory. You can even claim victory on your taxes by losing your current tax preparer and switching to H&R Block. And once you do, you'll start to feel like a tax champion. Because at Block, you'll have many ways to get your taxes done. You can walk in, make an appointment, or drop off your documents at a time that's convenient for you. You'll get 100% accuracy on your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their upfront transparent pricing, you'll know the price of your tax prep before you even get started. So make room on that trophy shelf and prepare to tax like a champion this tax season at H&R Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits like four times membership rewards points that adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year and up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's not enough to just say, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Yeah. And I did that. And she said, you did the work, man. Wow. I'm fixed. I love you. That's beautiful, man. Oh. That's, that's got to feel. That's the thing. Again, it, it was hard, but yeah. it was worth it. It was worth it. 30 years, man. That's a, that's We're powerful. on 33 now. 33, man. 33 this year. On a scale of 1 to 10. Currently, right now, uh, a self-love scale. Let's call it hypothetical scale. Mm -hmm. Ten being, you have so much inner peace. You love and accept yourself for where you are. You're also a a work in progress, but you love and accept yourself. You don't have shame on a consistent daily basis. That would be a ten. One being, you hate yourself and you don't love yourself at all. Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself on this self-love scale? I would say seven. Um, I ain't all the way there, you know. You could. It's easy to fall back, you know. What would it take to get it to a eight, nine, or ten? Oh man, that's 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 shaman level. That's (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, because it's stuff that still irritates. You know, look, I don't know if I'll ever hit ten. Yeah, yeah. I really, I'll be honest. Uh I don't know because you go, whoa, what did I? What was I? Oh, okay, I got to chill. You know, even even now, again, it's a much smaller battle. Yes. Because you realize, okay, but, you know, I have to make declarations. And this is one reason why, and this is why I'm so transparent. Because it keeps me at a seven. Mm. Because you told everybody. You understand what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. hey, man, oh, you missed a piece of love, huh? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, all right. And, and yeah, somebody's going to push gonna that test you. Somebody. Gonna, the universe. The universe. The whatever. Someone on the street. It's gonna, like, and, 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 and. They see that scab and they're going <laughs> to flick it. And you're like, ah, what? You know, somebody is going to yeah, do that. Of and 
and you realize, but that's the that's the position mm-hmm. that I want to be in because it's always self corrective. You know yes. what I mean? And yes. like I said, I my goal is to get to ten. I'll yeah. tell you that yeah. right now. Um, but I've never dipped below. That's good, man. Five. That's you know good. what I'm that's saying? Great. That's, great. Great. that's where we at. On a, um, you mentioned how. For so long, your life was about competition. Competition growing up, competition in NFL, competition in the industry afterwards. When did it, or has it yet, shifted from competition to something else? Because you're so successful. It just feels like everything you do turns into magic, right? You're on TV shows for eight seasons. You're on movies and the host of AGT and multiple AGTs now. It's like everything you do is successful. At least that's what it looks like. Is it still this competitive nature that you have? Or is there a different approach after so long being in the industry? Okay. I, over this time, over time, have discovered that competition. Now, this is, and what's crazy is people said, this is, this can't be true. But I discovered, for me, competition is the opposite of creativity. Mm. And what I decided to do was get creative. And you have to understand, competition is about you versus another human being. But creativity is always collaborative. Gosh, I'm so happy you're saying this. Always. I'm so happy you're saying this. You can't be creative without being collaborative. Yeah. Just try it. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be creative alone? Yeah. The whole the essence of what cre- being creative is, is you're taking one thing and mixing it with another and creating a brand new thing. Where are you going to get that other? That's the only thing that's creative. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> on a crazy level, I remember when they had, and Taco Bell was selling these taco pizzas. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, how did you do that? Well, they went to Pizza Hut uh-huh. and copied what they did and brought it to Taco Bell and made something brand new. Listen, creativity works that way. Like, it's a whole thing where you need everybody else. And this is another thing that blew my mind. I discovered that, in fact, the, you need the success of other people Gosh, for you to mm. be successful. So true, man. And listen, I had to... Listen, I spent hours like really writing this down, zoning this down, and how this worked. And I was like, man, you go to Fifth Avenue, if one store won, let's say Louis Vuitton won Fifth Avenue, and every store was Louis Vuitton, would anybody go? Mm. No. You need Dior. You need yeah, all these else. places so that everybody has a choice. What? Imagine if it was just one restaurant, mm-hmm. and everybody had to go to the same restaurant. It's done. No, you need different restaurants so that your restaurant can be successful. Absolutely. I learned, don't try to be the best. Be the only. Oh, snap. That's it. And I realized, holy When did you realize this, though? When when was was this? It was during the therapy. It was in the assembly. Because I was going, why is this not working? Man, my internal success was so far below my external success. Mm. And I had to try to rectify it. And so that was, that, that took a lot of building. But I was like, why am I jealous of other actors? Why mm. am I, I'd see a, something I went for and, a, and the billboards are up and I was auditioning for that and I'm like, uh, he ain't that good. And it would make me sick. And I said, why? now I had to examine why am I sick? 
Why am I feeling negative toward mm-hmm. this person? He didn't do anything to me. I don't know anything about him. Why am I feeling negative toward him? Just because mm-hmm. they picked him instead of me? In fact, I said, then I started changing myself. I said, you know what? I said, I wish nothing but good for that person. Ooh, that's I had good. To st- and wait, I didn't feel it. <laughs> you understand yeah. what I mean? Like, you, this is where you have to act your You're way into a yeah, feeling yeah. because I wasn't feeling it. And I said, no. I said, he deserved that. And I'm going to go see it. I would go pay, I would buy tickets to movies just so I could get over wow. these feelings of jealousy and envy and competition. And I would enjoy them. And I would go, he was amazing. I got a perfect example. I'm going to bring it up because he's one of my good friends right now, Dave Batista. Dave Batista is probably one of the best people in the entire world. He seems world. like a nice guy. Listen, he seems I like a, love this dude. He's jacked, man. He's freaking. I love this man like he's my brother. Uh, he seems I, I don't cool. know what to say. It, it, it's so wild. Every time we talk, we're like, it's like, man, you my, you are just my kindred. You're my homie. But he, he may not know this, but I know. I auditioned for his part in Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? I didn't get it. And I remember when he got it. And I remember I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you know. <laughs> the universe is testing me. And I'm going to say this, because again, I, I, my thing is, I got to be transparent, yeah. because this is real. And I was like, oh man, oh man. And then I saw the movie. And I said, I didn't have no business in that movie. Oh. I said, that's his. He was great for that's, that part. He was oh, perfect. Wait, wait, and he's great in everything. Yeah. Wait, he's past that. He's doing so many other oh. things. But I said, here I am. And wait, and if I had let that really affect me, it would have affected a friendship. Wow. That now we talk to each other, we talk, to, we call each other, we text each other. And I said, man, but that feeling could have really damaged something that was really pure and real. And I said, man, this is collaborative. It's not, competi- it's not no competition. And he is one of my best friends in this business. Mm, that's cool, man. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, I, and I'm telling you, I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind it because I think he's just a superstar, dude. Like Now you guys got to, I want to see in the next three years, you guys doing a TV show or a movie together. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, something's like, coming because yeah, I love him, man. You're, you're like, yeah, you're cops we, together or you're something and we, we love movie. each other. But but again, and, and look, I know the things that I have, I'm the only one for. Absolutely. You understand what I mean? So, you, you and then that's, one other thing is, you get tricked into thinking everything's limited. There's more out there than ever. Than ever. Abundance. Abundance is everywhere. Especially in the last five years for actors, there's a hundred times more opportunities than it was 10 years ago with all the streaming and everyone's buying content and creating. It's the digital. You know, the- it's like being in Whole Foods fighting over one apple. <laughs> and everybody's fighting over this one apple. And you'd be like, hey, dude, there's like a pile of apples yeah, right here. Yeah. Y'all know that, right? It's that ridiculous. But once you get in a competitive game, mm-hmm. It's it blind it, it really all reasoning and logic go out the window. I know. It does. What's the next level of growth for you? Wow. Because there's so many things you've overcome in the last three decades, really. In your inter, uh, your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with yourself, in your industry, what's the next level? What's the next limiting belief for you to elevate beyond? Um I it's it's wild because uh it just keeps getting more and more internal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll be honest, like, the big thing, I mean, growing up, I cared what everyone thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, especially when you're in that world like that, 
everyone's opinion mattered way too much, you know? Um, and so what, where I'm really progressing to is this thing where I find my tribe, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. not impressing people that I would probably never really hang with in any way. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. That used to be my life, like trying to impress a whole bunch of people that, that, you know, that I would never really call friends in the first place. And so now it just really became about finding the people that I connect with. And, and you know, what's wild is I got in a lot of trouble even over the pandemic when I made it a declaration that I decided to unite with good people, mm -hmm. no matter the race, the creed, the color, the ideology, that I was going to unite with good people. And people got mad over that because a lot of people want to fight. And But I said at the end, I said, I'm going to die on this hill. I, I choose to die on this hill. Wow. And it's hard, though. And, and let me say, everything I'm talking about today is tough. It's a level of toughness. The big thing about being tough is people thought, you know, you'd be able to throw punches, but it's really about endurance. Mm -hmm. It's really about being able to take them, being able to be alone, being able to stand alone in, your, in, in who you are, knowing that you're good, because a lot of people are calling you all kinds of things, especially since I'm in the public eye. Yeah. And just go, that means nothing. And how do you learn to not care or ruminate on the opinions of others now? Well, because you have to examine every, first, but this is what I think. When you've been so conditioned to people please right. for years, how, it, do, how did you? It takes time. Yeah. It's not overnight. And I would never encourage anybody to just go test it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's something that takes little years little, yeah. and years. But you gotta, you gotta start exercising it. Just ask yourself why you're so offended. Listen, I remember you know, in my neighborhood and, and where I came up, if anybody called you nigger, the rule is you knock them out. Wow. That's the rule. Like, no question, no nothing. You can go on Instagram, TikTok, you can watch people get knocked out for calling somebody nigger. But one thing I realized, and when I started to examine that rule, I was like, there are no niggas. Mm. It's no such thing. So why am I getting offended over something, you calling me something that I'm not? And see, that's a whole different framework. It's an elevation right there. You understand yeah. what I mean? I was like, you might as well call me a leprechaun. <laughs> right. I mean, be honest, because there are, there's no such thing. So, but the problem is, it's in me, if I believed yes. I was one, and you hit me. That's, that, those are the things that hurt men the most. This is why mm. what a woman says about a man will hurt them deeper than a punch in the face. I'd rather yeah. you punch me in the face. But if a woman says, you ain't no good, and, blah, 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 and, and that, a guy will be like, well, because that's his insecurity. You, mm. you, you tricked his oh, trick. man. But you know what I mean? And I realized, wait a minute, I'm doing the best I can. And you know what? And I, now I count those things to ignorance. Yeah. I don't have to take them personal. Remember how you mentioned taking things personal? Yes. Hey man, you can go a long way doing that. But uh -huh. I learned it's not this is not about me. It's yeah. bigger than me. Yeah. And it changed everything. Whew, man, and if people want to learn all these skills and strategies that you've learned, you've got it in your book. Tough. My journey to true power. It's not about uh, reacting in tough ways, but the endurance of 
emotional toughness, mental toughness mm -hmm. to rise above it. So I want everyone to go get a few copies of this. Give it to your friends. Uh, this will be very inspiring. The stories you tell are raw. Uh, the lessons you share are powerful. So make sure you guys get a few copies. This is a question I ask everyone at the end. I asked you this before, but I'm not gonna share what you shared last time. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's called Three Truths. Mm -hmm. So imagine a hypothetical scenario it's your last day on earth many years away from now. And you mm -hmm. get to accomplish everything you want to accomplish and live the life you want to live. And you get to live as old as you want to live, but eventually you got to turn the lights off okay. and leave this world. And for whatever reason, everything you've created has to go away, right? The message you've shared, this podcast, the books, movies, no one has access to your message anymore. Mm -hmm. Hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But you get to leave behind three lessons to the world. And this is all we would have to remember your legacy for first one is you can't love someone and control them at the same time that's the first one mm, that is powerful the second one i would say and i'm gonna say this intelligent decision making sometimes requires that you forget what you've lost and reevaluate the situation as it exists today mm. now that may seem long, but what it is, is you literally have to, every day, reevaluate everything you think you lost. Like, to be intelligent, you have to forget what pained you. Forget, that you have to actually let go of all that grief and all that get back and all that revenge and reevaluate the situation. Mm -hmm. Then you can make a real, true, intelligent decision. Mm. And the third thing is assembly required. Straight yeah. up, you got to assemble yourself, mm. yourself. Not not leave it to somebody else to do it. It's your job. Yeah, those are powerful. I want to acknowledge you, Terry, for constantly evolving as a, an incredible man in this world. For it takes a. I mean, I can only imagine the amount of weight and pressure that you've had to carry for so long with these feelings and anger and rage while having a public persona and kind of having two different personalities, I guess, like yeah. you said, or two different images. Yeah. And for you to want to dive in and do the work and, and unlearn and rebuild and assemble a healthy, whole human being as opposed to a tough from the old sense of what toughness was and elevate to a new toughness, I'm really inspired by, man. And I'm just... Uh, I'm grateful for your example in the world. You know, I'm grateful for our friendship, even though I haven't seen you in a couple of years, but hopefully I'll see you more in the future. And uh, it's really inspiring. Again, I want people to get the book, Tough. The final question is, what's your definition of greatness? Wow. A servant to all. The person who serves the most mm. is the greatest among everybody. Mm. I mean, my goal is to serve, serve, serve. I serve my family. It's my job to put, for me to make sure my wife gets what she wants. My kids get what they want, not what I want for them. But what do you want? Let me help you. Mm -hmm. And that's my friends, my people. If, if I can help you in any way, get what you want, it makes you great. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm. Terry, my man. Appreciate oh, you, brother. I love you, Thanks, man. man. Appreciate you, brother. you, brother. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.